Chapter Eighteen of the Call of the Wildflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Call of the Wildflower by Henry Salt. Chapter Eighteen. A Botanophilus Journal. He was the attorney of the indigenous plants, and owned to a preference of the weeds to the imported plants, as of the Indian to the civilized man. Emerson I have referred several times to Henry Thoreau of Concord, in whose journal a great deal is said about wildflowers and as the volumes are not easily accessible to english readers it may be worth while to select therefrom a few of the more interesting passages in all that he wrote on the subject thoreau appears less as the botanist than the flower lover indeed he expressly observes that he himself comes under the head of the botanophilus as linnaeus termed them viz those who record various facts about flowers but not from a strictly scientific standpoint i never studied botany he said and do not to-day systematically the most natural system is so artificial i wanted to know my neighbors if possible to get a little nearer to them so great was his zest in cultivating this floral acquaintance that as he tells us he often visited a plant four or five miles from concord half a dozen times within a fortnight in order to note its time of flowering books he found in general unsatisfactory i asked a learned and accurate naturalist he says who is at the same time the courteous guardian of a public library to direct me to those works which contained the more particular popular account or biography of particular flowers for i had trusted that each flower had had many lovers and faithful describers in past times but he informed me that i had read all that no one was acquainted with them they were only catalogued like his books it was the human aspect of the flower that Thoreau craved, and he was therefore disappointed when he saw pages about some fair flower's qualities as food or medicine, but perhaps not a sentence about its significance to the eye, as if the cowslip were better for greens than for yellows. Thus he complained that botanies are the prose of flowers instead of what they ought to be, the poetry." He made an exception, however, in favor of old Gerard's Herbal. His admirable, though quaint, descriptions are, to my mind, greatly superior to the modern, more scientific ones. He describes not according to rule, but to his natural delight in the plants. He brings them vividly before you, as one who has seen and delighted in them. It is almost as good as to see the plants themselves. His leaves are leaves, his flowers flowers, his fruit fruit. They are green and colored and fragrant. It is a man's knowledge added to a child's delight. How much better to describe your object in fresh English words rather than in these conventional Latinisms. Linnaeus, too, the man of flowers, as he calls him, is praised by Thoreau. 
if you would read books on botany go to the fathers of the science read linnaeus at once and come down from him as far as you please i lost much time in reading the florists it is remarkable how little the mass of those interested in botany are acquainted with linnaeus thoreau's manner of botanizing was like most of his habits somewhat singular his vasculum was his straw hat i never used any other he writes and when some whom i visited were evidently surprised at its dilapidated look as i deposited it on their front entry table i assured them it was not so much my hat as my botany box with this vasculum he professed himself more than content i am inclined to think that my hat whose lining is gathered in midway so as to make a shelf is about as good a botany box as i could have and there is something in the darkness and the vapours that arise from the head at least if you take a bath which preserves flowers through a long walk flowers will frequently come fresh out of this botany box at the end of the day though they have had no sprinkling the joy of meeting with a new plant, a sensation known to all searchers after flowers, is more than once mentioned in the journal. The discovery of a single flower, hitherto unknown to him, makes him feel as if he were in a wealth of novelties. By the discovery of one new plant, all bounds seem to be infinitely removed. He notes, too, the not uncommon experience that a flower, once recognized, is likely soon to be re-encountered. Seeing something blue or glaucous in a swamp, he approaches it, and finds it to be the Andromeda polyfolia, which had been shown him only a few days before, in Emerson's collection. Now he sees it in abundance. At times he adopts the method of sitting quietly and looking around him, on the principle that, as it is best to sit in a grove and let the birds come to you, so, as it were, even the flowers will come. Swamps were among Thoreau's favorite haunts. He thinks it would be a luxury to stand in one, up to his chin, for a whole summer's day, scenting the sweet fern and bilberries. That is a glorious swamp of miles, he remarks, the more open parts where the dwarf Andromeda prevails. These are the wildest and richest gardens that we have. The fields were less trustworthy because of the annual vandalism of the mowing. About these times, he writes in June, some hundreds of men, with freshly sharpened scythes, make an eruption into my garden, when in its rankest condition, and clip my herbs all as close as they can, and I am restricted to the rough hedges and worn-out fields which had little to attract them. Among Thoreau's best-beloved flowers, if we may judge by certain passages of the journal, was the large white bindweed, Convolvulus sepium, or morning glory. It always refreshes me to see it, he writes. I associate it with holiest morning hours. It may preside over my morning walks and thoughts. Not less worthily celebrated by him in another mood are the wild rose and the water-lily. We now have roses on the land and lilies on the water. Both land and water have done their best. Now, just after the longest day, nature says, You behold the utmost I can do. 
the red rose with the intense color of many suns concentrated spreads its tender petals perfectly fair its flower not to be overlooked modest yet queenly on the edges of shady copses and meadows and the water-lily floats on the smooth surface of slow waters amid rounded shields of leaves bucklers red beneath which simulate a green field perfuming the air the highest intensest colour belongs to the land the purest perchance to the water it was not thoreau's practice to pluck many flowers he preferred as a rule to leave them where they were but he speaks of the fitness of having in a vase of water on your table the wild flowers of the season which are just blossoming thus in mid-june he brings home some rosebuds ready to expand and the next morning they open and fill my chamber with fragrance at another time the grateful thought of the calumet's scent suffices him i need not smell it it is a balm to my mind to remember its fragrance it was characteristic of thoreau that he loved to renew his outdoor pleasures in remembrance by pondering over the beautiful things he had witnessed whether through sight or sound or scent his mountain excursions were not fully apprehended by him until he had afterwards meditated on them it is after we get home he says that we really go over the mountain if ever what did the mountain say what did the mountain do so it was with his flowers even in the long winter evenings they were still his companions and friends i have remembered when the winter came high in my chamber in the frosty nights how in the shimmering noon of summer past some unrecorded beam slanted across the upland pastures where the johnswort grew on a january date we find him writing in his journal perhaps what most moves us in winter is some reminiscence of far-off summer how we leap by the side of the open brooks what life what society the cold is merely superficial it is summer still at the core thus by memory his winters were turned into summers and his flower seasons were continuous End of chapter eighteen